You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, We are in our uh, part three and really the last part of our series, Roadmap to Recovery. And I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. We, uh, the first week we talked about the importance of hope and how uh, in the story of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was brought before a dry, dead valley. And the message was finding life in death valley, that in the midst of what seems hopeless, seems dead, seems lost, God can recover, God can resurrect, God can bring hope out of hopeless things. And he's in the business of resurrection. Last week we talked about what happens when you lose your edge, what happens when your faith becomes dull, what happens when your worship becomes cold, what do we do to reignite that, and and we looked at that last week as God helps us to recover what has fallen down. Today as we finish this, we're going to go to a familiar story in 1 Samuel chapter 30, 1 Samuel 30, and we're going to begin in verse 7 because i got a few verses here to read in this story, and I'm just going to summarize the first part of this. The message is in pursuit. If you're taking notes, it's in pursuit. And uh, the story is going to pick up right in the middle of David's story. Right in the middle of David's story, after, long after, David, as a young man, killed Goliath with God's help and was brought to the forefront of the nation of Israel. Uh, He would become the son-in-law of the king, King Saul. But Saul would become jealous, as, as I mentioned, I think it was last week, we talked about insecurity and how insecurity causes us to attack others rather than build them up. We, we look at others as something that threatens us or somehow tears us down. Listen, I don't have to, for others to be winning doesn't mean I'm losing. And, and we need to have that heart and mindset that we lift others for, for Jesus and their, the, the purpose of God in their lives. And, and so this is important, but uh, in the midst of that, Saul, well, things just get really bad. And, and he turns on David to the point where he tries to kill him. And David has to flee for his life into the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness, he doesn't just kind of stay on a, a long-term vacation. He doesn't just push the pause button. He doesn't just wait. In fact, he becomes very active uh, because faith is always active even when it's in a posture of receiving. Faith is always an, a, a, an action. Faith is always something that moves us toward the purpose of God. Even when we're waiting, we're not just passing the time for the next thing to happen in our lives, but we're actually engaged in faith with the promise of God. God in prayer, in trust, in believing, in obedience to what he said last, that, that in, the, in the space in between, we're not inactive, but we're actively engaged. We're pursuing something. And David, in the middle of his waiting season, while he's in between the place where Saul has tried to kill him, and he's moving towards the place of his destiny to be the next king of Israel, David has the greatest setback of his entire life. David has the greatest loss of his entire life. You know the story, many of you, because I've shared it here before, the story of Ziklag, where where while David was out fighting battles for his own people without any, any, any recognition from Israel, he was fighting for them. Even when they, he was a fugitive on the run, he still fought for others that were rejecting him. Come on, church. We need to be a people that, that we love our enemies, but we also fight, those that, we fight for those that may not recognize the sacrifice sacrifices you're making right now. And so David fights for them, but while he's away, the Amalekites, an enemy nation, come and destroy their homes, their town, their city, 
where they're setting up camp, a place called Ziklag. And while they're there, they burn it with fire and they take away everything that David and his army have. They take away their wives, they take away their children, they take away all their possessions, and they take it and leave nothing but ruins and ash. And in the midst of that, David and his troops come back to find Ziklag burned with fire. And David at that moment could have thought, it's over. This is it. I'm done. Have you ever felt like that? Like I've hit rock bottom. I've hit the point where nothing else can change. Nothing can be better. Nothing can grow from here. Nothing can move forward from here. And, and, and we, we have our own ziklags. We have our relationships that look like ashes. We have our, our jobs and our businesses, our, our purposes, our dreams, our hopes, our expectations, our, uh, whatever it is. And we have our own ziklag. And I'm here to tell you today that that middle season was not the end of the story for David. And your Zeklag doesn't have to be the end of yours either. Just because the chapter you're in right now looks bad doesn't mean the, the story's over. Just turn the page. Just keep going. Just keep moving forward. And David does something that I have spent time with here before, so I won't do it today. But David strengthened himself in God. He encouraged himself. He turned to God. He ran to God. And we're going to pick up in verse 7 today. David encouraged himself because sometimes you don't have somebody else to tell you to cheer up. You're going to make it. And that's where the church should be. We should be the most encouraging place on planet Earth. Thank you, three of you. But sometimes you don't have the worship team to sing on Monday morning, and you don't have. So what do you do? You draw on God. You draw near to God. You pursue God. And so David, after he's kind of, with God's help, picked back up and begun to encourage his troops now, his men, David does something that may not make sense at first. Let me read it. Verse 7, it says, David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David. The ephod was how in the Old Testament, people who didn't have the prophetic ministry of the Holy Spirit would seek God's direction, seek God's voice, God's counsel. And, and so David inquired of the Lord. And here's what David said, shall I pursue this troop, this army, the ones who've taken everything, shall I overtake them? And God answered him. The Lord answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Let me just read the rest of it and then we'll unpack it. So David went and he and 600 men who were with him, they came to the brook Besor uh, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued and he, verse 10, but David pursued and he and 400 men and for 200 stayed behind who were weary. They were so weary they could not cross the brook Besor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field, and they brought him to David, and he gave him, they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water, and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread, nor drunk nor water for three days and three nights. And David said, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? He said, uh, the Egyptian responds, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me to the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So David Verse, let's jump ahead to verse 18. He attacks them, and verse 18 says, the end of the story, David recovered all. 
that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them. Listen to the statement. The very thing that God had spoken to David happened. David recovered all. Not some. David required all. If I look at David, David is by no means a perfect man, but David is called a man after God's heart. David would, in his pain and in his loss and in his questions and in his hurt and grief, drew near to God. Some people run from God in pain. Some people run from God in disappointment. They run from God in hurt, but I don't want to run from the only one who can heal. Are you with me? When I don't understand, I still go to the one who is the answer. When I don't know the way, I still go to the one who is the way. When I, when I, I don't know how I'm going to see things change, I go to the one who says nothing's impossible for him. And so, so when we go to God, David goes to God. And I think sometimes we're disappointed because rather than go to God, we look in ourselves or we look in others to be the answer for a way forward. But David encourages himself, and then he goes to God, and David asks for the next step. He says, God, what do you want me to do? And he goes and he seeks God's voice and God's direction, God's will, and God's will led to his recovery. I've got a few points for you today. If you're taking notes, the very first one is this. There's more where that came from. There's more where that came from. If you realize, I think the reason why David went to God first is he already knew that God was the source of everything he had. When you, knew it, when you know that God gave it to you first, he's also the same one who can give it back again. <laughs> so the reason why David stayed close to God is because of who God is. That God was his source and God was his answer. And no matter what's been lost, if you know who your source is, you can draw near to him. This is important because there's more where that came from. Whatever God brought into your life, whatever has been taken from your life, whatever you've lost, whatever maybe you failed or others failed you, and it seems like there's nothing there, I'm telling you today, there's more where that came from because the same God who gave it then can give it again. The same God who healed then can heal now. The same God who answered then can answer now. The same God who rescued your family then can rescue your family now. I'm telling you this, church, because in the midst of loss, we can run from or we can run to. And David ran to because he knew who his source was. That's why it's important for us to not just know that God can do certain things. He can heal, provide, he can protect and deliver. He can save. He can forgive. And I, I believe in all of that. But here's what I want you to understand. Rather than just knowing that he does this stuff, we need to know who he is. Because David had, many people are content to live on principle instead of a relationship with the person. It's much better to have the healer than even a healing. It's much better to have the provider than just a provision. Because, listen, that stuff can run out, that stuff can, can go away, but when you have the source, when you have the person, when you have the relationship with the one who doesn't change, David ran to God. 
And what God's always been after is you and I to know him, you and I to have a relationship with him. I love what David would be told by God and would actually recall later in his life. He would, he would, he would be given this by the prophet Nathan. Nathan came to him one day at uh, what, was, what David was asking God, you know, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. He's now king. He's now at, at the, the pinnacle of the promise of God that he's been praying for for years. And, and, and the prophet comes to him, and here's what he says. This is what the Lord says. I took you from the sheepfold to be a shepherd of Israel. In other words, I'm the one that brought you from there, and I'm the one that placed you where you are. David would later say, God, I, I, who, who am I and who's my family that you've brought us this far? David lived with a consciousness all his life of the faithfulness of God. He lived with an awareness of who God is. I want to always be grateful and remember what God has done. On my best day, I couldn't come close to what God can do. And the good news was, he wasn't just with me on my good days. He was faithful on my worst days. And David is at that moment, everything seems gone, everything seems lost, and so he goes to God. God is a God who brings revival out of ruins. He's a God who brings restoration out of loss. And the issue is, do we know who it is that gives us? When, when you know he's your father and you're adopted into his family, you're a child of God. An orphan doesn't know where their next meal comes from, but you're not an orphan. Here's what James says. I think it's 117. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. I think one of our biggest issues, I've pastored for a long time. I've been in ministry at least 18 years, going into 19 years now. And in that time, I found one of the most common issues in the church even is that we are not convinced yet of the goodness of God. If you're not convinced of the goodness of God, you won't pray like he's good. You won't believe like he's good. You won't trust like he's good. You won't step out in faith because you don't know if he'll be there to catch you. You'll try to control and do things your way because, I, God, I don't know. That sounds scary to obey you, to surrender, to step out in an area that I, I, I can't see a way forward. David goes to God. Number two, if you're taking notes, is let God have the first and the last word. Let him have the first and the last word. I don't know, any of you, when you were dating, you, uh, you did that at the end of the call. You hang up. No, you hang up. Jen and I did not do that. <laughs> but, but I'll just say, maybe you were. You're just like, you hang up. No, and you go back and forth. And, and the, the thing is, with God... How often do we let him have the first word and the last word? David is in a moment right now where at Ziklag he's lost everything and he encourages himself enough to go, I gotta hear from God. Like that, that by itself is overcoming. Like you overcame just by showing up today. I'm just telling you. You overcame some stuff. If you don't think the devil's real and spiritual warfare is real, just recognize how much the enemy tries to fight you just coming Sunday morning to church. Just, just, just get into your Bible every day. 
How much the enemy? You start going, okay, I'm gonna pray today, God. I'm gonna spend time in your word. And every phone call, every crying baby, <laughs> every, I'm, I'm just, so here's what David does. He says, God, I need to hear from you. I need to know what you have to say. And he asks a question that I think is very challenging for me. Because the first thing he does when he goes to God, he doesn't go to God and say, okay, God, here's what I think we need to do. This is what it looks like to give God the first word. He asks God what seems obvious, seems necessary, but he still submits it to God first. He says, God, shall I pursue? I know I'm angry right now. I know I'm hot right I'm ready to go take these guys down. They took everything from me. I should go after him, but he asked God first. Do you know David never lost a battle when it was first God's battle? David, in fact, David would do this often, especially in his early days. He would see God first. Should I go after him? Should I wait? Should I attack? Should I? And he would, see, he would submit his plans to God first because he wanted God to have the first word. That's what relationship looks like. It's preferring somebody else before yourself. When I got married, it was a successful marriage was not going to happen if I said, I want my way all the time. I told some of you, when my wife, we got married, my first experience of change was when she started clearing out my wardrobe. And I'm like, I don't understand why you're throwing that away. I wore, all of this attracted you to me. And she goes, no, I, I look past all of this. I, I, I had to see through all that. I had to... <laughs> And we have to recognize this, that David asked God first. He says, shall I pursue? I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, if you are living the life of faith, you will exercise your right to waive your rights. Oh, that's so contrary to the way our culture operates. It's so contrary. I'm going to fight for me and mine first. I'm going to do things my way first. But he says, if you're living a life of faith, you will exercise your right to waive your rights and let God make your choice for you. I know I can, but if I ask God if I even should. And I could tell you story after story here this morning of moments where I learned this and said, God, I'm gonna ask you first. And sometimes that meant God would say, let this go. And sometimes it meant that God would say, trust me. And sometimes God would, would, would direct me in a way that didn't make sense at first. I, I'll, I'll tell you a quick one. I, I remember my wife and I, the, the first time back in 2010, we were asked to go out to a church in Florida, and it was a two-campus church. They had two locations. One was a church that is well-established, been there for 30-plus years. The other one was a rebuild of a church that had been, uh, that for, had, I don't know, five or six splits and just was in a, a lot of mess when, when the main church took it over, and, and they were working with them and helping them, and, and uh, a new pastor was coming in who I had a relationship with. He had invited me out there, and, uh, but, but he was a young guy, very gifted, very passionate, but really just had some other agendas going on. And, and uh, without getting into all the stories, he invites me out there, and, and my wife and I, we go out, we visit it, we pray, we connect with the, the main church, the pastor there, and uh, the senior pastor of the main campus, and, and he, you know, we, just, we just felt like God's in this. 
We, we talked to our, our church that we were on staff in, in Phoenix, and they were 100%. They prayed with us. They said, yeah, this is God. We, 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 we filled that with you guys. And so we were 100%. We quit our jobs. We sold our house. We packed everything up. And uh, for the first time, we prepared to move across country. And we had a young baby, I think our, our son, our oldest, who's now turning 14 in a couple months. He was six months old. And we're ready to go, and the younger guy, who is the junior of the two pastors, he was the one at the rebuilt campus. It's a complicated story. But, but he, two weeks before I'm about to go out there, he tries a hostile takeover of the whole church. And he says, hey, I've got a plan. And he's telling me the plan, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. How many times does somebody tell you their plan, or you even come up with a plan, but there's something on the inside that doesn't sit right? doesn't feel right. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out there, and it's going to be my way or the highway. And he told me this two weeks before we moved. <laughs> well, it's a long story, but he didn't get his way, thankfully. He quit, resigned. I called him up. I said, hey, we're still moving out there. He says, you probably shouldn't. You, you probably should stay. He gave us all these different reasons and how things didn't go the way he thought they should go. And, and the only person we knew, to be honest, was him, uh, really closely. And, and it, uh, so we, we get a call one day. Our pa- the, the main pastor had called us up. He was on a missions trip to our church in Haiti and comes back and calls my wife and I up. It was actually because of the time difference. It was really late. I think it was midnight our time. Calls us up and says, hey, I heard what happened. And I understand this is confusing and it's difficult, and, and, uh, but here's what I want you to do. He says, if you guys still feel like you're supposed to be here, we're 100% having you guys with us. And he says, here's, but, but, but if, if you feel like, hey, you know what, our connection was this other guy and, and you want to stay, feel free to stay, no pressure. He says, but here's what I'm going to tell you, and it's the best advice I ever got. You need to ask yourself, are you going to follow God's voice or are you going to follow man? And we had already heard God's voice before the confusion and after the confusion. And it was the best decision we ever made. And I'm telling you, church, if you would follow, you'll never regret following God's voice, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it looks like it may cost in the short term, what you gain in the long term is far greater than anything. And so, so let me give you a couple of keys to just recognizing and hearing God's voice. Uh, I, I think the first thing we need to do is clear the clutter. How do I hear God? Well, sometimes there's just too much stuff. There's too much noise in my life, and so I've got to clear. And, and noise isn't just auditory. Noise isn't just the sound around me. Although practically, sometimes you just got to get alone. Get alone with God. Well, God's not talking to me. Have you gotten alone with God? Do you know God whispers? The, the Bible calls it the still, small voice of God. It's not because God can't speak louder, but he whispers because he's close. And, and, and so we clear the clutter. Sometimes the biggest noise is on the inside of me. And I've got to lay it all down and say, God, I'm going to trust, be still and know that you're God. We need to keep listening. Keep listening to what he says. Some of us are still living off of what he told us 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, a month ago. But God's still speaking today. God wants to lead you today. God wants to speak to you about your situation, your life today. It's a daily relationship. And so he invites us to not just pray. And and prayer is us talking to God, but prayer is also us receiving from God. We need to do what he said. 
Why would God tell me another thing to do if I didn't do the last thing he told me? The message is going to get so much more encouraging in a minute, I promise. (laughs) But why would he tell me another thing when I haven't done anything with the last word he gave me? I need a word from God. What did I do with the last word? Okay. The last thing is we just need to simply trust where he conceals and obey what he reveals. Let me give you this verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So he makes known his will through his word and through the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we can fully experience all that God has for us. We need to let God have the first word. We also need to let him have the last word. And the last word in David's situation was not going to be defined by the ashes and the ground, not by be defined by the pain and the hurt and what people were saying, because even his own troops were against David at that point. But here's what David needed to know. What does God say? Shall we pursue and will we overcome? Overtake them, and God's word was, You shall and you will recover all. The final word has to be God's. If you look at the story of Job, I've told you before, Job is not the thing I want to start my morning devotionals with. (laughs) Forty of the chapters are pretty heavy, and Job goes through a lot of loss. A lot of loss and a lot of confusion. In fact, most of Job is questions. Most of Job is opinions. Most of the book of Job is people coming to Job saying, well, this is why a bad thing happened to a good person. But at the end of the story, God has the last word. And God shows up at the end of the book. And Job, God begins to speak to Job and then speak to Job's friends. And God begins to say, where were you when I formed the earth? And God begins through his word to put things in perspective, to remind Job, you're not God, Job. <laughs> and then he says to Job, hey, I, this, is, this is in the book of Job, by the way. He says to Job, I want you to pray for your friends because what they said about me is not right. How many people interpret God but interpret him wrong? Religion almost always interprets God wrong. If you want to know what God's voice is like, you want to know what God is like, look at God's word, what God has said. And at the end of the story of Job, Job 42.10, if we could put this on the screen, this is the end of the story. Because a lot of us know the first part of Job's story, how he lost everything. How his wife, after seeing everything being taken, comes to Job and says, you should just curse God and die. Thanks, honey. Good advice. (laughs) But the end of Job's story is this, Job 42.10, the Lord, the Lord restored Job's losses. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, not only that, but the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Number three, if you're taking notes, is going back to the story of David and Ziklag, is keep up the pursuit until you recover all. Keep up the pursuit until you recover all. What was the word God gave him? He said, pursue, pursue. Well, God, should I just wait here for it to come back? No, pursue. There was going to be a pursuit on his part. There was going to be an invitation and action on his part. And here's what I know. Human nature is this, that people are always in pursuit of something. The issue is not, are we pursuing? The issue is not, are we worshiping? Because there's lots of people who think, I'm not a worshiper. It's not my personality. Oh, everybody alive is worshiping. 
The issue is not if we worship, it's what we worship. It's who we worship. You're created, like human beings are created in the image of God to bring glory to God. And when we don't bring glory to God, we deflect it somewhere else that it doesn't belong. We pursue something else with our hearts and with our lives that may be fleeting and temporary. People pursue success. People pursue money, pursue identity, worth, and value, and status, and all kinds of things. And and not all the things that people pursue are bad. I think most people are pursuing and want a better family life, a better marriage, better relationships, Fulfillment in life. You're created to not live empty. Philippians 1.10 says this, for I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to understand what really matters. Is what we're pursuing, does what we pursue really matter? I can be successful in a lot of areas of life and let, watch my family go to ruins. That's not success. I can make all the money in the world and have my marriage broken. Is what we give our lives to something that really matters? Is what we focus on trivial or eternal? Is it what's wrong or is it what's right? And I believe that David could pursue and overtake the enemy because he first pursued God. He was a man who lived in pursuit of God. Psalm 63, one, I, I believe this is in the notes. I added this this morning, so if it's not. But Psalm 63, one, is a Psalm of David. And David said this, let me just read this to you. This just describes his heart after God. He said, when I, uh, this is David when he was in the wilderness. He said, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. We don't do that in our denomination. (laughs) That's a joke. Um, My soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed. So he's worshiping in the morning, and he says, I'll meditate on you in the night watches. He's worshiping at night. Because you've been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. And here's what I want you to see, verse 8. My soul follows close behind you. That follows close in Hebrew is, is, is a word that means to adhere to like glue to be fused together? This is a weird question. I don't know why my brain goes to this, but um, were any of you in school one of those kids that used to play with glue? Like, like you played with glue at your desk and, and you would pour it all over your hand and let it dry. I didn't ask if you ate glue. I'm just, did, did, you, did you let it, and then you peel it off? Like, I think it's a sign of genius, personally. <laughs> that thing would adhere to you. That's the level of closeness this word is indicating, that, that, that it's not at a distance. Israel one time said, Moses, you go talk to God, and we're going to stay here, and you just tell us what he says. Give us the rules. Tell me when to kneel. Tell me when to stand. Tell me what things to recite. Tell me what, what, what prayers to pray. And we go through all these motions, but instead of drawing near, we stay at a distance. And David could pursue and recover all because he stayed close. 
He adhered to the one who is faithful, the one who is, who is true, the one who helps him to recover all. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox. <laughs> so let's get to the last point. Number four is share the spoils. If I can remind you of what happened at the end of that passage David would find the enemy, but he would find the enemy through his troops were pursuing. And along the journey, a few of them got tired. A few of them were so weary because they had just spent the day just weeping and grieving over what was lost. And so they were exhausted. Not only that, they just come from a battle, and so they're exhausted. And so 200 of his 600 men stay behind. And, and, and let me just say this. Don't stop. Don't quit. Do you... Did you know the story in David here is actually he's three days. In, in two chapters later, it'll say that three days later, literally three days, he'll find word that King Saul is dead. Three days later, David will be positioned to be the next king. Three days later, three days after his greatest loss, David would have his greatest breakthrough. Don't stop before you break through. Don't quit before you see the answer. Don't stop pursuing before God does it. And the way he recovered all is so interesting. He finds an Egyptian. He finds an Egyptian while David has experienced loss. He finds somebody who's been abandoned. What does the guy say? He said, I serve my master in Amalekite. He left me behind. I got sick. How many people get discarded by the world? Get cast aside by the world. Jason, if you want to come up. How many people get laid aside and, and, and set aside and forgotten about and, and written off and discarded, and yet God never does that? And David sees this Egyptian. You know what David does? Before, in fact, it actually says that he fed him and gave him water before he even asked him. He blessed his Egyptian, not even knowing if this man could give him anything. What happens when we need to recover? And I think this is really key for some of us because I think the thing that we're missing is many times we're not giving out. We're not blessing others because we're still in need ourselves. And I'm just gonna tell you, all of us have needs and all of us have areas where we may be hurting. We may have experienced loss. Can I tell you, when I've needed it, I found the secret is to give it away. When I've needed healing, I don't stop praying for people for healing. When, when I've needed God to move in my life, I've found that the greatest way, I, I, I love this, I had a pastor, a friend of mine go out to South Korea where they have a million member church, largest church in the world. It's one, the reason it's, so, it's, it's become so large, so successful in the way it has is because it's rooted and founded in prayer and fasting. But people, they would, they would bring prayer requests and, and whenever somebody would give somebody else a prayer request, they'd say, thank you so much for giving me that prayer request. And at first, after about 50 people that would say, thank you for letting me pray for you, thank you for giving me that prayer request, he finally was like, you don't hear people thanking for a need being expressed where I'm from. And he said, he finally asked somebody, he says, why, do, why, do, why does everybody in church keep thanking me for giving them a prayer request? They're not, are they just being courteous? He says, no, they've learned that the key to their prayer being answered is praying for your need first.
He blessed his Egyptian. What if we started blessing others and seeing healing come to others while we're still waiting for the answer? I think the key to recovery, the last key to recovery is found right here. And the reason I call it share the spoils is because as you read the rest of the passage, do you know what, what happens? A fight breaks out with David's own guys. And they start to argue amongst themselves. 400 men go to fight and 200 stay back to guard the camp because they're tired and they're weary. The 400 go and they fight the battle and they come back with the spoils of the war. And they come back and they say, we're not sharing with these other 200 that didn't show up. And David actually from that moment forward creates a law. It's true, just keep reading. And the law and the principle is this, whether you stay in guard at home or whether you go and fight on the front lines, everyone has a share in the spoil. And you know what that tells me? There's a kingdom principle that I think the church needs to grab a hold of. There's not more significance in what seems public and what seems celebrated, but in all of us doing what we're called to do. All of us doing our part, all of us doing David could probably take on a few hundred, but what if his whole army could take on thousands? What if the church could see North Iowa turned upside down for Jesus? Could see communities that are hurting, that are broken, that are, are bound. And, and I love what's happening with our outreaches. We're already starting to see a shift in some of these neighborhoods that we've been able to bless people and love people with no strings attached. We're not even going to places saying, hey, you have to come to our church to, no, no, no. That's not even what it's about because we're, Jesus builds his church. We're gonna build the kingdom. We're gonna reach people. We're gonna reach the city. And that's not gonna happen just because of a few, but because of all of us, whether we're praying and guarding the camp or whether we're on the streets or whether we're making coffee or whether we're on the team, whatever it is, but realize that, and, and David takes the spoils and he gives it to the nation. You can read the rest of the story. Do you know, I believe that there's gonna come a day where we're gonna go to God and he's gonna say to so many of you, say, look at the, look at the thousands that you reached. And, and you may think, well, I never preached a sermon. I never led a song. I never did any. But in God's eyes, everything that all of us do together is a part of a bigger picture where everybody gets the spoils. Well, I'm not like them. I'm not, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be like them. He didn't create you to be like them. He created you to be like you. And he gave you your gifts and your calling and your purpose. I'm gonna start preaching. Would you stand to your feet? <laughs> well, I'll, I gotta get some stuff together before I go do that. <laughs> if the enemy knows, I don't know how this works out theologically, but if the enemy knows that all he has to do is keep throwing you something to give you a reason why, and you're letting him keep you out of the fight because of that curveball. You know what I found? He'll just keep throwing curveballs. But I've just decided that I'm just, I'm gonna bless others regardless of what the enemy throws my way. And we're not gonna wait. We're gonna pray for people and love people and serve our city and make a difference. Proverbs eleven twenty five. 
says, those who refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed? I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come down. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We'll be out of here in just a moment. I wanna pray for you today. Because I know some of you are in your ziklag right now. You're in your moment, your season. And I'm just gonna say, no matter how you got there, God's in the business of recovery. He's in the business of rescue and restoration. It's what he does. David was three days away from everything changing. I don't know if that's the case for you. I don't know if it's three days away or one day away or a moment away or a year away. But here's what I do know. The same God that restored for David is the same God that can restore you. The same God that helped David to recover all is the same God who can cause you and I to recover everything that the enemy, that life, that people have taken. And that doesn't have to be the end of your story. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.